Just thinking what I know about Steve Ballmer's career, the one maybe applicable lesson is we should take the United States, unplug it, wait <laughs> at least 10 seconds, and then reboot it. I think at this point, there's only thing to do. You might recognize that voice. It's Peter Sagal, the host of NPR's quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, offering his unique solution to our country's problems, loosely inspired, at least, by the career of this podcast's resident numbers geek, Steve Ballmer the former Microsoft CEO and the founder of our podcast partner, USA Facts. We're giving Steve the week off from the show to continue our special series of conversations with celebrity guests about the numbers that matter most in their lives and in the issues that they care about most in the country. We'll be talking with Peter Segel this week about the numbers behind a couple of his lesser known passions, the sport of running and the US Constitution. And true to his radio persona, we promise there will be plenty of fun and even a game along the way. It was a lot less math-heavy than I thought, and I'm feeling relieved. From GeekWire and USA Facts, it's Numbers Geek. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Stay with us for a conversation with Peter Sagel. Numbers Geek is presented by USA Facts, our nation in numbers. Visit them at usafacts.org. Peter Sagal is best known as the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which marked its 20th anniversary in October. But he's also an avid runner, a columnist for Runner's World magazine, and the author of the new memoir, The Incomplete Book of Running. We spoke with him during his recent book tour, backstage before an evening event at Seattle's First Baptist Church, organized by Town Hall Seattle and KUOW Radio. I'll spare you my Bill Curtis imitation, although I assure you it is quite good. Uh, you know what? At this point, I want to hear it because no, I've, I try to imitate Bill Curtis and you just can't do it. It's his unique voice. So try it, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, Peter Sagel, welcome to Numbers Geek. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I just finished your book, The Incomplete Book of Running. Yes. And it was fascinating. And really, we were just talking. It's more of a memoir. It is. If I were to write a book about like, this is how you go running, that'd be about four pages long. Because basically, as I say in the book, if you want to go running, go for a run. I mean, there are certain things you shouldn't do, like run off cliffs or buy too exp- buy expensive equipment or go too far or too fast at the start. But that's basically it. It's it's pretty basic. And you're a longtime columnist for Runner's World. Yes, yeah. is a side of you that people who know wait wait don't tell me may not necessarily no. know. And and that's something that I won't say it's quite. I won't say it's intentional, like it was a secret identity. But it. I certainly made no effort to you know, cross the streams, because one of the things uh, that I'm very well aware of, as an author of a book about running, that people who don't run don't want to hear you talk about running. Because I was writing for Runner's World, I was able to write, presumably, for people who were very interested in running, and there's a certain freedom, so I can talk about it as much as I want. This is an attempt, obviously, to sort of cross over to the non-running community. You did not mention wait, wait, uh, very explicitly. Ever. Yeah, hardly you, ever. Toward, yeah. toward the end, you talked about um, a little bit about Bill Curtis and Carl yeah. Castle, um, but you explicitly referred to it as your radio show. At yes, the radio show. Well, I mean, uh, some people say to me, "Well, you should write a book about wait, wait." You know, the, the wait, wait guide to the news. But that's what I do for my day job, and I just, for some reason, haven't had any interest in sort of, I guess, capitalizing on the radio show and the books I write. I mean, uh, I. I write things because I want to say them, and I have plenty of time and opportunity to say goofy things about the news. So we like to say that numbers tell a story, and there are some pivotal numbers in your new book and in your life. Yes. I want to 
just toss some of them at you and have you riff on them. Keep in mind, even though I wrote them in the book, I may not remember them, but I think you'll remember these numbers. Four hours, five minutes. Four hours, five minutes. That, of course, was the finishing time that I achieved with William Greer, the blind guy I was running, blind runner, marathoner, uh, at the 2013 Boston Marathon, which is an important number to know, four hours, five minutes, because the bomb went off, or bombs, I should say, four hours, nine minutes. That was such a fascinating part of the book. And really, in many ways, it's the centerpiece of the book. You return to that story several times. It was also a time in your life when you were going through upheaval. You were to put it mildly. Yeah. What I like to say is it's a book about two explosions, one of which was literal, the other was metaphorical. Right. And you talk about your divorce in the book and then ultimately your remarriage. Yes. Uh, What did you learn? What do you take away? How do you reflect on that moment, four hours, five minutes in the 2013 Boston Marathon? And then, as you said, four hours, nine minutes when the bombs Well, I mean, the story is that I was running with William Greer, who was a blind runner, who I was paired with him to be uh, his guide, as blind runners often need guides. And the reason I was there was because, uh, to mix the metaphors, my home life, my family was exploding. My wife and I had just agreed to split up. I had hoped it would be amicable. She made it very clear that it was not going to be amicable. Um, And then things got really sour, so I just needed to get out of the house in the way that one does. Um, And this seemed like a wonderful opportunity to get out of the house, so I ran the Boston Marathon without planning to do it. And uh, to, to make the uh, to make a long story short, William was having a pretty hard day, and when we time he had been suffering and having to stop quite a lot, and he didn't think that he could finish the marathon at a run. But at my encouragement, but it was all his guts. He just decided to do that because the last mile of the Boston Marathon, you don't want to be walking that. So he ran that last mile, and we crossed the line, as we've established, uh, just four minutes before the bomb went off, and. Um, or five, five minutes. And the, uh, on reflecting upon it later, obviously we didn't know we needed to get by the bombs before they exploded. This wasn't a video game. When I reflected on it later, I realized that if he had not really gutted out that last mile and chosen to run it, we might have been a little bit further back, near the bombs, before the bombs, inside of the bombs, next to the bombs, who knows. So it really kind of, I won't say shook me, but kind of showed me how precarious things can be. Did you change anything about your life? And obviously your life was in the middle of a yes, major transition. A lot of at things. I don't know if I changed anything about my life because of the bomb. It's interesting. I, I, uh, I don't explicitly say this, but I describe in the book later in the book, uh, an accident that I had some years before, three years before, in fact, when I was hit by a car, uh, which was pretty traumatic, uh, far more traumatic for me personally than the Boston Marathon bombing. And when I was hit by a car, I got put in the hospital. And as anybody will tell you, if you have a near death experience or an experience that could have been death had, you know, you, the Nissan Sentra hit me a little bit differently than it actually did. You tend to think about what am I doing with my life? It could have just ended. Is this how I want to be living? And that started me on a series of, shall we say, introspective journeys about the state of my life, the state of my family, the state of my marriage that led me to the next explosion. To what extent do you use numbers as a motivator, as a middle-aged amateur yeah. <laughs> runner, as you Less describe so yourself? Less than I used to. Um, you know, it's funny when you asked me to do the 
podcast. I'm like, well, I don't do numbers. I mean, because I was thinking about those, you know, quantified guys who like are constantly logging their heart rate and taking their glucose or whatever the hell they're doing with their Fitbits. And I don't do any of that stuff. But it is true that for an intensely interested amateur runner, as I have been and sort of still am, the numbers matter tremendously. Uh, your PRs, personal records for all the standard distances, 5K, 10K, 10 miles, and half marathon, a marathon, um, as well as breaking it down. Like, what are your splits? Meaning the split differences for each mile. What is your average pace? Um, stuff like that, even sometimes your heart rate. So, yeah, numbers, certainly at the most intense years of my running career, numbers were very, very important. Um, to give you one example, the number 40, 40 minutes, uh, was a time for the 10K race that I never could break. No matter how hard I trained, I always seemed to come in at like 41 minutes or 40 minutes and 30 seconds. Um, until one year, 2011, when I decided to really train up as, as, as intelligently and diligently as I could. And I ran that race, uh, a race that actually started my midlife running career when I saw it go by some years ago. And I ran that race in 38 minutes, my friend, 38.26, I think it is. And I felt pretty good about that number. Same year, another number that was key was? Yes, 3.09, which was my PR still, and I think will always be my PR for the marathon. That that was interesting because I was pretty old to set a PR. I had started running at the age of 40. I was now 46. My times had been decreasing, according to a mathematical scale that had been established by an economist. And I wondered if I could reverse that trend uh, by really changing up how I went about it, by running more seriously. Again, you know, as I was saying, another level of intensity. And it worked. And uh, I had meant my PR personal record going into that race was three hours, 20 minutes. I meant to beat it. I told people that I was trying to run a 315, but I secretly told myself I was trying to run a 310. And I did it. Thank you, by the way, for bringing that up, because I would have had to find a way to work it in, because that's how we roll, we runners, we midlife guys. You know, you know I, well, I ran a 309 marathon that once. Oh, I'm sorry. Was I bragging? To what extent has running and goal-seeking impacted the rest of your life, your professional life, your personal you know, life? You know, it's funny. I used to say to myself... Uh, especially that year when I was running particularly well, man, if I applied myself to anything important, the way that I apply myself to this silly sport, I'd have a Nobel Prize by now because in my daily life, I'm absent-minded and procrastinating and don't do nearly the stuff that I should be doing. So I thought it was like two separate uh, magisteria, as Stephen Jay Gould used to say. They don't overlap. I would go running and pursue that, and then I'd come back and deal with the mess of the rest of my life and never the twain shall meet. But in writing the book, what I discovered is the things that I had learned from running, intensely applying myself. And the experience of it actually had a lot of use, um, which mainly have to do, at least in my case, uh, with endurance. Because running is hard. Marathons are particularly hard. You end up enduring them as much as you enjoy them. And as fate had it, I had to a lot, a lot to endure. And uh, it turns out that all those uh, many, many miles when I really would rather be doing something else but had to finish this thing, they actually... Um, paid off. Little known fact about you. People know about weight, weight. They may know about running, but uh, Constitution USA. Yeah, I wish that was not so little known uh, because I'm very proud of it. Yes, Uh, as you should be. I thank you. We did it in 2012. It was broadcast in 2013. It's a four-part documentary that I did with a director named Steve Ives and his company. Uh, He's a protege of Ken Burns. And we decided we wanted to make a documentary. It was linked to like the 225th birthday of the Constitution, but it was really, the idea was like people learn civics and it's really boring or they don't learn 
similar with civics because it's really boring. You know, you get the class, you have the three boxes, you know, legislative, executive, judicial, and then maybe you see some pictures of old 19th century, 18th century people in wigs, and then you forget the whole thing because it's boring and abstract. And we decided we wanted to talk about um, stuff that was actually relevant uh, to people's lives today. So there are no paintings of dead people. Um, we talk about the founders, but it's all about people today and dealing with constitutional issues ranging from same-sex marriage to marijuana legalization, which is an interesting case for federalism. And as you know, marijuana makes everything more interesting. <laughs> um, and a lot of other things and a lot of other people, uh, including interviews with the Supreme Court justices and so on and so forth. And I just loved it. And it, it sparked a a, an almost an obsessive interest in constitutional order uh, that I've got. In fact, I've, I have a side career as sort of a fake constitutional scholar. I will often opine on these issues. And according to the lawyers I know, I'm not completely off base. Well, it's great because we're embarking on this podcast with USA Facts, our partner, Steve Ballmer's nonprofit, and they actually use the preamble to the Constitution to create mission statements by which they then judge the country and split up all oh, the wow. spending. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's it's particularly interesting because the, I believe that the, the the courts have decided that the preamble of the Constitution has no legal weight, but I'm glad somebody's make, make, using it. Yeah. So his whole whole idea was, what can we learn from business and apply to the reporting of the government? Well, I would say that from just thinking what I know about Steve Bomber's career, the one maybe applicable lesson is we should take the United States, unplug it, wait. <laughs> at least 10 seconds, and then reboot it. I think at this point, there's only thing to do. What is the old saying? Problem exists between keyboard and chair. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Certainly, it's, it's, I, You know, it's interesting to think of the Constitution as an operating system, because one thing we've certainly found in recent years is, as the programmers used to say in my youth, garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. Well, one thing I wanted to point out in the USA Facts 2018 annual report is the uh, page 57, which yes. is all about obesity. Oh, and, my gosh. And you That's talk a lot of it, it, hey, so one person I talked to, it's appropriate we're here in a church in Seattle, called this the book of facts, which I consider almost biblical, sure. which, you know, numbers should have that kind of reverence, right? So two thirds of the population approximately is obese. It's at about 30% uh, now, as opposed to about 20% in 1999. You talk about this at length. Do you see running and simple exercise as a way to make people healthier? And it, w yeah, yeah, although uh, one of the things I'm very cautious about is an obsession with weight. Uh, that's a number that I think people should ignore um, because of a couple of reasons. First of all, th there's health and then there's body weight and they're only tangentially related. You can be very healthy while being technically overweight. For example, at my absolute fittest, uh, when I was ran that three and a marathon, according to the body mass index, I was still overweight, uh, which means I'm never not going to be overweight if I was that fit and still doing it. And, and the other reason is, is that, you know, you, you say you're a certain height and you say, well, I should weigh uh, some number that some famous person is with the same height. Well, the numbers that sort of summarize their body may not be the best numbers for you. And if you try to achieve it, it will not go well for you. I've tried it. What I advocate for, as to the extent I advocate for anything, is just general principles. Exercise. Get outside. Do something. Don't just sit there. And I also, I don't say this explicitly, but I'm kind of against gyms. Because people think, I mean, I know people love gyms. People thrive there. There are some people who are gym rats, and that's awesome. And I also know that some people... Um, 
you couldn't get through uh, the required exercise without a class or an instructor yelling at them. And that's, and that's great. But one of the things I feel strongly about is movement and exercise is actually something that used to be and should be, again, very simple. Uh, I was in a park in Portland yesterday, and there are these kids running around laughing like maniacs. And they're just running around, and they're chasing each other, and they're running away from their father, or they're just running. And it's like that's beaten out of us. You can't just run. You have to play a game, or you have to put on a uniform, or you have to join a league, or a class, or you have to learn a skill. No, you don't. You just need to move. Uh, if it's not running, ride a bike. If it's not riding a bike, swimming. Or maybe play pickup basketball if you need a game. But just move. And when it comes to weight loss and food, again, and I'm not alone in this, dieting is terrible. It won't work. Because all diets, no matter what they tell you, whatever celebrities on the cover of the book, are just about calorie restriction. And if you restrict your calories, you'll also become very hungry. <laughs> and you'll eventually break the diet. Uh, instead, I advocate for just eating simply and cleanly and healthily, meaning non-processed foods. You cook yourself, not too much meat, not too much fats. It's fine. Just basic food. You know, what, what, the, the Michael Pollan, of course, has his famous thing, which I totally agree with. It's like his, his entire wisdom of dietary advice comes down to eat food, not chemical byproducts extruded into a little package and then heat sealed. Mostly plants, because plants are good and we all eat too much meat. Not too much. That's it. Do that. Just really, that's all you need to say about diet. When we come back on Numbers Geek, we will talk with Peter Sagel about the numbers he cares most about when it comes to the future of the country. And yes, we will challenge him with our own quiz. Let's jump back into our conversation with Peter Sagel, host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the author of The Incomplete Book of Running. Big picture, when you think about the country, the future of the United States, yes. and the issues that you care about, yes. I don't need you to know the numbers, but are there metrics, measurements, things that you think about most? Uh, one of the things I care very deeply about is civic engagement. And how do you, how do you I mean, I want people to know what's going on. I want people to be involved with what's going on. Well, how do you measure that? One way is through participation in elections. So I'm encouraged by the last election because participation was very high for a midterm. Um, so that helps. Uh, if you really want to pick a number, I'd like 28 constitutional amendments. I'd like to get rid of the Electoral College. I think that's a bad idea. As a student of the Constitution, I can tell you that's one of its big flaws. Um, I'm trying to think how to measure. Uh, I, I think, and here, here's another one, um, uh, and I know this is something of, uh, of, of a political football, which is the pop popularity of the United States, the United States approval rating around the world. And I think it's important because, as some people seem to have forgotten, the United States is not and has never been just another country, just another contestant in a beauty pageant. I don't know why I use that metaphor. It has been a beacon of hope into the world, a lamp shining high. And um, to the extent that we can regain that aspect of our country that makes other people in other countries 
aspire, not just admire, but aspire to the United States, we'll be closer to the path we should be on. We've got a game of our own for you. I can't have you here, and I realize this may be an, a, sort of a common tactic in interviews with you. It, but it's, it's, it, it, it's the burden I bear. Well, I will tell you that I meant to bring the bell, and yeah, I forgot I the bell I from the office. That, at least. We'll have to add it in post. Okay. <laughs> at least. All right, so here we go. We call it, Who's the Numbers Geek This Time? Right. I'm going to read you three quotations about numbers and politics. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you'll win our prize, our resident numbers geek, former Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer, yelling, numbers, 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 whenever you boot up your computer. Oh, that'd be exciting. <laughs> Windows or Mac. He's uh, cr- he can do cr- both. Cross-platform now. Both. It's, okay. it's a new world. It's a new world. All right. Peter Sagal, are you ready to go? I am. Okay, great. Here is your first quote. It is someone reacting to the news of a 4.1% increase in gross domestic product in the second quarter of 2018. As the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers, and these are great numbers. Who was expressing such unbridled optimism about GDP growth? I'm going to guess it was President Trump. It, it, that is right. Yeah, he, he, he likes the numbers. He likes to talk about the great numbers. It's weird. He has this, I mean, it's, it's, it's in many ways a critique of everything you're doing right now, how much he cares about numbers. In fact, the increase of more than 4% was the highest quarterly jump in nearly four years. As it turned out, GDP growth in the third quarter was 3.5%, though, which was also among the largest in recent years. But last we checked, 3.5% was not more than 4%, although we're still waiting to hear from the White House for the official word on that. We're making arithmetic great again. (laughs) All right, Peter, here is your next quote. You've got one right. This was a rising political star on The Daily Show as a guest struggling to get a handle on U.S. defense spending. I will warn you, this is a difficult one. Okay. Just last year, we gave the military a $700 billion budget increase, which they didn't even ask for. In fact, they didn't ask for a $700 billion budget increase or get one because that is actually the approximate total size of the U.S. defense budget, not the amount of the annual increase. This is a rising political star who was just recently actually elected to Congress as a clue. Who got that one wrong? Who got that one wrong? Oh, I see. So she called a $700 billion budget increase when it was, in fact, more or less the entire military budget. So somebody who was recently elected to Congress, I'm going to guess it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Another uh, bell inserted in post there. (laughs) To her credit, she subsequently acknowledged the mistake and corrected the record, which is not necessarily nice. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily required these days, apparently. All right. Two out of three. Right. So the pressure is off on this. I feel good. now. I feel relaxed. All right. Your last numbers quote from someone who has become legendary for his colorful comments over the years. Right. Folks, I've known eight presidents, three of them intimately. (laughs) <laughs> Who's gotten up close and personal with numerous presidents? Gosh, uh, folks, I've known eight presidents. Of, I've, oh, gosh, uh, I'm trying to think intimately, intimately. It's someone who's been in the White House or thereabouts before. Right. Former, former, former vice president. Former if I, vice president. Yes, uh, oh, wait a minute. So it's a former vice president. Gosh. And the word folks is very important in that quote. Oh, God, folks. Oh, Biden. Of course. Who else would say that? Excuse me. Of course. Intimate. I should have. I, the only he would say something that would make you go, what? Yes, Joe, I shouldn't have known. Sorry. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. Well, Peter Sagal, thank you so much. Is there anything that you would want to leave folks that we have not? <laughs> folks. Folks. Leave folks. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Biden. That we have not talked uh, about yet. R- related to your book. I, I, I think that... Um, I'll relate it to my book. It's weird uh, because 
I am very self-conscious about the fact, as I said earlier, that nobody who doesn't run wants to hear about running. But as I've gone around and talked to the book, I've discovered that I really am an evangelist. I, I honestly believe that you will be better off if you run. If you can, uh, I think we'll improve people's lives. Um, and it's not because there's anything magical about running. Uh, it's because most people don't get outside enough and just move away from everything that we're dealing with, away from podcasts, away from their screens, away from the entertainment, away from the distraction, away from politics. Go outside. Go for a run. I'm tempted to leave it there, but I have to tell you, one of the most interesting parts of the book is that you say to not listen to anything while you're running. I know, which is, I should say, and I'm, we're now speaking to people who are probably listening to this, maybe even while running. Here's the thing. People are listening to this. I don't know what they're doing while they're listening to this. What they're probably doing is something that prevents them from watching a screen, right? So they're driving or they're doing errands or chores around the house or they're running or exercising or in a treadmill. Okay. So that means by deduction that as soon as you're done listening to this podcast and doing the activity that prevents you from looking at a screen, you're going to look at another screen which will probably lead to another screen, a bigger screen. And then in the evening, there'll be another screen. There is hardly a moment, literally, of our waking lives that does not involve input. It's as if, the, the, the joke I've been using is in uh, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, famous short story, Harrison Bergeron. He talks about this dystopia where people are made equal by giving handicaps fitted to their uh, abilities. If you're very strong, you have weights. If you're very fast, they sort of chain your legs together. And the title character, Harrison Bergeron, is very, very smart. And the handicap they place on him, these dystopian tyrants, is they put these headphones on his head so that they just go off with white noise at random times so he can never maintain a thought. It always interrupts him, so he can't put coherent thoughts together. And I don't think Vonnegut ever could have imagined that we would do that to ourselves, that we would buy $1,000 devices, he said, picking up his iPhone, just so that we can constantly do that to ourselves to avoid actually thinking. So I think everybody needs to give themselves a break. Peter Sagal, thank you very much for being on Numbers Geek. My pleasure. It was a lot less math-heavy than I thought, and I'm feeling relieved. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me host Peter Sagal's memoir, The Incomplete Book of Running, is available now in bookstores and online. And I can tell you, it's a lot of fun to listen to him read the audiobook. Follow him on Twitter at Peter, S-A-G-A-L. By the way, Steve Ballmer will be back soon on the show. And in the meantime, here's a preview of him recording Peter Sagal's prize. Numbers, numbers, numbers! Numbers Geek is produced by GeekWire in partnership with Steve Ballmer and USA Facts. Numbers Geek, graphic design by Killer Infographics. Theme music by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Jim Valley edited this episode. For more Numbers Geek episodes and videos, plus citations to the numbers we discuss, go to geekwire.com slash numbersgeek. You can find interactive graphics, charts, and government data at usafacts.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Todd Bishop. We'll be back soon with another episode of Numbers Geek. Numbers Geek.